That was beautiful, Zach. That um, song, You Are My Champion. Been listening to that for like three days and almost texted Zach, Hey, do you know the song or can you play the song? And then I felt like the Lord was like, I'm going to handle worship. Like, don't micromanage. And so when you started to sing that, I felt that it was God's wink. You know, like, Ashley, you're tracking with me. You've got this. Because, you know, this message is, it's interesting today. Um, this message is so simple, yet it has felt, it, 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 we make it more complex than it really is. And what I want to talk about today is the difference between happiness and joy. And um, at the end of, of last year, of 2019, I, it was interesting. I would randomly be having conversations with different people. I mean, not just my own kids, but um, like I'd meet someone for coffee or... And every time it seemed like it came out of their mouth, you know, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. And so I kept picking up on this and I kept thinking about this with the Lord. Like, Lord, what are, what are you saying about this? Because this is becoming a, this is becoming, you know, a thread through our culture of I'm not happy. And, and it really led me to sort of, you know, um, pull this talk together because I think what happens is, and I'm not talking about depression. Depression is different. I'm not talking about um, that heaviness, that weightiness of, that comes with depression where you're living in a fog and, and you really can't get your head up, you can't get your thoughts together. I'm talking about that sort of just general discontent or dissatisfaction that, um, you know, we see a lot. And um, I believe in our culture we've developed a perception of happiness that is not biblical, Instead of using the discontent or the dissatisfaction to sort of propel us to press in or persevere or seek God, <clears throat> we begin to look around to grab on to something or someone to, um, to bring us happiness. I, I, I'm looking out here for an external, you know, that this is going to make me happy. And it really becomes this grand illusion. I kept thinking of that. Song, do y'all know the band Sticks? Yes. Okay, D- D- Deborah, Caroline, you ever heard that song, Grand Illusion? Like, welcome to the Grand Illusion, come on in and see what's happening. Like, I, I, I kept thinking, like, this is what happiness has become. It's this big grand illusion that, you know, we're going to get there, we're going to get to this point, or we're going to get this thing, and, and we're finally going to be happy. And, um, you know, I began to dig into the root of the word happiness. Okay, well, where, where's the origin? It actually dates back to like the fourth century, and it's based on luck. It came into the English language in about the fourth century based on luck or good fortune that just sort of fell into your lap. And this is where the word happiness comes from. And, you know, there's this um, piece of advice that we hear a lot in our culture, which is, you need to do what makes you happy. Okay, so let's just, let's just unpack that for a second. Because in our house, I have, in the next academic school year, not now, but the, let's see, 2021 20, school year, I have three graduating. One from graduate school, one from college, one from high school. The worst thing I could tell them would be, hey, you just need to do what makes you happy. 
because for one of them it might be, let me just go smoke pot in Colorado and like never do anything. That is not good advice. And we hear it all. That is not biblical. Jesus never ever said that in the Bible. What I tell my kids is you need to go out and serve. You need to go out and be productive. You need to think about giving back. I've got one of them thinking about medical school, and it's like, well, gosh, you know, it's just such a long time. I'm like, yes, and it would be hard. I'm like, yes, life, it's hard. It's hard. But in that is this endurance and this perseverance and the strength of character that develops. But if your whole focus is I need to do what makes me happy, you're going to be a restless wonder for the rest of your life. Because what makes you happy in this season will not be what makes you happy in the next season. Yeah. It will continue to change. And when we give out that advice or, or we're you know, hearing that advice in our culture, it is leading to destructive decisions that break up families, that destroy uh, vision, that destroy character. And it, it, it's nowhere in the Bible. I, I looked for it. There, it is nowhere in the Bible. I cannot imagine... You know, I started thinking about all the greats in the Bible. Noah, Joseph, Daniel, David. Can you imagine if they did what made them happy? We wouldn't have a Bible. I mean, I don't think Noah was happy building the ark. I think at times he felt like, you know, he was a village idiot. I don't think Mary was really happy when she became pregnant and everyone mocked her and accused her. I can't imagine, you know, David being pursued all the years of his life by Saul. He probably did when he came into that cave. When Saul came into that cave, he, he, what would have made him happy was just to kill him and stab him right there. But instead, he listened to the Lord and he persevered. See, happiness has absolutely nothing to do with joy. And chasing after happiness keeps us focused on externals and happenings and off of what God is doing and saying. There was this documentary that, you know, as I was... Um, a lot of times my talks just develop over conversations with the Lord. So a couple of weeks ago, there was this documentary because Georgia was still home and I, we were going to spend just the night together and, and watch a movie. And there's rarely anything for me personally that's uh, entertaining on television. But there was a documentary and it was called Chasing Happiness. And I thought, I, I want to watch this because this is exactly what I'm trying to process. And it was about the Jonas Brothers. Do y'all know the Jonas Brothers uh, band? By the way, they were a pastor's kid. I didn't know that. Okay, well, the whole movie was them chasing after happiness, and the whole bottom line is they're just not happy. And it didn't matter when they were successful, and then they broke up and did their own thing. I mean, like, the whole thing was about how they just, you know, they just never were happy. And I thought, you know, this is just the whole thing, this elusive pot of gold that we continue to chase after is, is that, you know, if, if I can just get this or that, I'll be happy. And it, and it really is. And, and I'm not trying to burst a bubble. What I'm trying to do is raise awareness that this is a spirit of fantasy that connects with your drive of self-pleasure. And it creates destruction in your life. And it really takes your focus off of God and off of obedience and serving him with a heart of gladness. It takes us out of relationship and on to that next best thing mentality. And this is, a, this is, I would say, with our high school and younger generation, it is, it is it's something I feel like I'm, I'm up against constantly on a day-to-day -day basis because they have access to 
so much more things than anything on social media. Everyone, I mean, everyone looks so happy on social media. You know, everyone's having their best day except me on social media. You know, it's just, it's fascinating to watch the self-promotion and, and how this whole thing is, is taken on a life of its own. And, you know, the only time that Jesus actually references the word, it, it, it's a gladness that comes through blessing, but in a lot of our... Um, Modern definitions, it's become the word happiness, which is sometimes uh, confusing. But the only time Jesus ever references being blessed, which therefore then through this blessing comes this emotion of gladness, is after serving in obedience. It doesn't just pop out of the sky. In other words, like it's not... um, it has nothing to do with luck or good fortune. It's through service and obedience that we become blessed. We often confuse happiness and joy. We transpose them and think they're the same, and they're not. Happiness is, is this feeling, this need to obtain and chase and possess. But here's the difference with joy. And, and I'm talking about kingdom joy. I'm talking about the fruit of joy. Joy is to know, and by knowing I don't mean the intellect, I mean experientially knowing, experiencing. In other words, I know Deborah, not here in my mind, but I know her because I experience being with her. I experience being in her presence. I experience talking with her. It's, It's a very different, just think about your child. You experience their person with you. Joy is to know the Lord and be known by him. That's what joy is. It's that ultimate place of vulnerability where you are 100% vulnerable, 100% safe. And you experience the Lord and you allow him to experience you. You allow him to experience you. And and Dr. Wilder, who we reference a lot here at One because we go... um, we have a lot of the life model, which Rosalind's really articulate in. And, and he explains that joy is someone is glad to be with me. Kingdom joy is God is glad to be with me. And I am glad to be with him. Joy is 100% purely relational. So I want to look at the verse, uh, you know, that verse in Nehemiah 8.10 that we all probably know. And we've quoted the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you look at that in the Hebrew and the word that they actually use there, and I texted Debbie Chesney last night because I'm like, how do you say this word? And she sent me an audio. I thought I'll just play Debbie saying it. But the word there is, <laughs> I want to laugh. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do this justice or not. Well, you speak Hebrew, Lisa. Well, it's been a while. It's, okay. It's spelled C-H-E-D-V-A-H, and it's Chedva. Yeah, or so, I mean, whatever. Debbie's like, Ashley, they're not going to know. Like, it doesn't matter. Just say it. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Anyway, that word is only used twice in the Old Testament. And what that word, the deeper understanding of that Hebrew word is, it is a path of coming into his presence. And it is the rejoicing of God that you are able to come into his presence. So it is this place where we're, we have this door to fellowship with him. That is the the understanding of joy in the Hebrew context, that we are able to fellowship with him and he with us. And he, it's this deep, rich gift from God that we can enter into harmony with him while we're still here on earth. And so 
our strength becomes his provision. As we allow God to know us and we seek to know him, through that fellowship, he's providing our strength. It's, it has nothing to do with emotion. It has to do everything to do with connection. Um, and Jesus speaks in John 15. If you want to follow me there, I'm going to read um, verse 7 through 11. Because in our version is where um, Jesus talks about this joy in the New Testament. And he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. See, it's through this abiding, it's through this connection, it's through this obedience of, of respecting and stewarding God's word that comes his joy. Oh, there's Debbie. I was just Hi. telling you, I was what? telling them that you were helping me with the word. I already said it. How do you say it? What was it? Chavan? It was Chavan. There we go. There we go. I was just yeah. <laughs> I was just saying how you were helping me with that. Well, <laughs> that Jesus deposits the seed in us of His joy, and we enter into this fullness. See what we what we often think is that joy is going to be this feeling that's just going to come upon us or come over us, but joy is a seed. Joy is a deposit that then bears fruit through the seasons of our life. It's a fruit, not a feeling. And, and this feeling follows the act of entering his presence. In other words, yes, we feel joy, but it follows the act of entering into his presence. And if we wait until we feel like worshiping, or we wait until we feel like um, talking to God, or if we wait until we feel like you know, uh, being in relationship with him will never step into joy because it's an act of obedience and we must allow his seeds to produce the fruit of joy in the seasons of our life. In Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruits and I'm just going to highlight that really, really quick. I um, thought I had it marked, but I don't. Hold on just a sec. Here we go. It says, but the fruit of, this is uh, Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, we think that uh, we mix up feelings with fruit. Now, granted, love, joy, and peace will produce a feeling. But before that, they are a fruit that the kingdom requires us to allow to grow. And, and, it, and it's why it's a fruit, not a gift. In other words, if we're always chasing after the feeling of love or the feeling of joy, or the feeling of peace, we're going to miss it because it's a fruit that only comes through sowing obedience and exercising and practicing. Does this make sense? So the Hebrews, they understood that joy is attached to the act of, of, to the act of entering his presence. It wasn't just waiting for the emotion. When we just wait for the emotion, we miss out on his joy. We miss out on the fact that 
God, I don't always understand, but I know you and I love you. And that's how the Hebrews thought. God, I don't always understand, but I'm always going to love you. I'm always going to worship you, and I'm always going to obey you. It had nothing to do with the way that we were feeling. And it would be fascinating if instead of telling our kids, well, you just, or whoever, we just need to do whatever makes you happy. We taught them how to retreat into the Lord and how to ask, you know, you need to do what the Lord is leading you to do. What has the Lord called you to do in your life? It isn't about, it won't always make you happy. And quite honestly, I thought about, for me, for 2019, and I thought about, um, the last seven months of 2019 were very much a grueling marathon for me, as most of y'all know, and just physically being so, so sick. And happiness was like the last thing I thought about. I honestly, I wanted to live. I wanted to feel good. But I thought if I had gotten stuck on that place of I need to do what makes me happy, I would have spiraled down. It would have almost led me into a place of feeling depressed because it would have eluded me. Instead, I would say, God, what are you doing? God, what are you saying? You know, because happiness is that. It creates that searching, that striving, whereas joy is the rest and the discovery. God, what are you saying? God, how do you feel about this? Kind of like what you were leading us through earlier, Deborah, during worship, you know, just asking the Lord what we do all the time around here. And from that, that's where we receive the strength to go through the seasons in life. The seasons will change. But our strength will be determined by how much we enter into his presence and pull on God's joy. We don't have to pull on each other to to be happy or expect other people to make me happy or look for something to make me happy. We get to fully pull on the joy of the Lord to fill us and deposit within us. And then we become impenetrable. We become untouchable. We, um, We aren't crushed by the weight of what comes towards us. You know, I wanted, as I was putting this talk together, the Lord reminded me about um, several years ago, a situation, and because I want to give you an example, I, you know, I'm such a how person, like it all sounds good, but what's the how? You know, I, need, I always need the, I'm not one of those cooks that can get into the kitchen and just start cooking, like I need the, the play-by-play, like how do we put this together, and I, I'm that way with the Lord. <clears throat> and so what does this look like? I remember years ago... I guess I've been in the healing ministry here for close to 11 years now and have had the privilege of praying for many, many different people in many different situations. Mm-hmm. And um, in particular, the Lord reminded me of this, this one person that I prayed for. And oftentimes when people come for physical healing and they come here for the first time, they're usually brought by someone. Not always, but a lot of times a friend says, I want you to come, you know, at that time it was the Christ Healing Center because they do prayer. And so when you meet the person who's needing usually a physical healing, usually they're facing something that is grim, you spend a lot of time in the beginning um, walking them through their identity as a child of God because the first thing you want to do is you want to connect them to hear God for themselves. Because, you know, you can't live with them every day. And so you want them to learn how to steward and own their relationship with the Lord outside of what happens here. And so I remember with this particular person going through that, and her friend would bring her. And and I would always say when when people are facing uh, a diagnosis that, you know, seems large, like cancer, I, I always encourage them to come every single week. 
you know, come every single week to, to be prayed over, to, to get soaked in. And so she did that for a while. And then, um, but I can always tell when things are taking root and when not. Does that make sense? I can always tell when someone's really ready to own their relationship with God, when, when there's roots happening. And so I will be honest, I didn't really see that happening. And I remember, um, didn't see this person for a while, and then our friend called and said, you know, this person's not doing well, would you come to their home and pray? Which I'd been to their home even a couple of times. And I remember walking into um, the bedroom there, and my spirit picked up on something that I honestly didn't really pay attention to until now, until this last year, and I didn't really know I was picking up on this. But I remember walking into the bedroom, I remember the TV was on some sort of talk show, and I just remember picking up on a spirit of resignation. And resignation in the spirit, I want you to understand what that looks like, because to us, resignation is like, well, whatever. It is what it is. That is resignation. That's how we verbalize it. But in the spirit, in the spirit world, resignation is giving up your position to be in relationship with God. It is the most dangerous place you can live when you say i don't want to live in defeat then i want to ask you where are you resigned in your life where have you allowed resignation to take root when you partner with a spirit of resignation you give up your position to be in relationship with god because there is not one part of god that even entertains or resignation doesn't exist and so what i remembered about this was just how heavy that was. And when I was in the hospital at the end of May, there's some things that when you are in a dire situation, you're just doing because your spirit man is dictating and you're not logically thinking about it. And I was very sick, but I remember above all else, I valued my relationship with God. Therefore, I had my worship music on, therefore I never turned the television on because I didn't want anything to distract me from just talking with him or talking <laughs> with someone came in the room. Above all else, I valued that relationship with God and what I realized is I knew I was protecting myself against a spirit of resignation because it is easy to check out. It is easy to check out. We do it every day. So easily, you know, something comes up, it's irritating, we just check out, whatever. You know, and, and paying attention to that is so critical because a lot of times we are delaying our joy, we are not entering into his joy because we are just looking for something to self-soothe. And there's that beautiful verse in Proverbs 4.23 that says, above all else, guard your heart. And heart in the Hebrew in that particular Scripture means your feelings, your intellect, your will. It's the center of everything. And what I want to encourage you today, and if, if this is like the only thing you hear out of this whole talk, is above all else, value your relationship with God. And just keep asking yourself that throughout your day. It doesn't mean that you sell everything and become a nun. We can't all be a nun or, or go, you know, live. That's not what I mean. It means that in everything that we're doing, you're valuing your relationship above all else with God. Like, that's the most important thing. So whether you're, you're working at your workplace, whether you're 
dealing with your kids, what, whatever it is you're doing, the most important thing, the most important fruit that you're growing in that is your relationship with the Lord. And um, for me, as I've begun to, I honestly like this, I wish someone had given me this talk years ago because I'd never really heard anyone explain the difference between joy and happiness. And it's really for me to understand joy has just sort of been coming out of this whole journey. And the way I practice it, because it can be practiced, is like this. During the day, um, I often just stop and I just say, God, I'm so grateful that you know me and that I know you. And I spend time recounting his goodness. I spend time just allowing his presence to wash over me. I spent a lot of time in the hospital. The way I protected that relationship was I just recounted what I had seen him do. So we can pause wherever we are and just take that moment to say, God, I just thank you that you know me. And that's that beautiful scripture that David said in Psalm 139 when he's like, Lord, search me and know me. Like if there's anything hidden in me, Lord, let's get it out now because I don't want to hide anything from you. Because I want to experience your full joy. I want your full joy being deposited in me. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The, that joy didn't mean that Jesus was like, okay, after the cross is done, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to rip all that up, and then I'm going to get to heaven, and finally I'm going to rest. Like, that's not what joy meant. The joy was the fact that he knew after the cross that we would be in full relationship with him, full access. There would not be one thing that could ever, ever hinder us from having access to him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. That was the joy of knowing this perfect communion that awaited all of us with him. Nothing would separate us. We can separate ourselves, and we do that. We, do, we can separate ourselves from God. When we, one, step out of his word and, and, and we tamper with things where he says, hey, you know, you may not want to do this because this disobedience is going to lead to destruction, but we do it anyway because, you know, we're chasing after happiness, right? You know, that affair sounded really good because that's what was going to make me happy was this person was supposed to make me happy. And, and now I've wrecked a marriage and now I, you know, it's a year down the road and I'm not happier. You know what? I was going to smoke pot and smoking pot made me happy for like a few minutes. And then now I just don't do anything other than play video games and smoke pot. I mean, do you see how ha- happiness just becomes this illusion? And that has nothing to do with joy. And it's, it's like, you know, the Israelites when they were in the desert and, and they were convinced that something or someone was supposed to make them happy and all they did was complain and they completely missed out on developing a relationship with God. You know, when someone's a complainer, like, and they're just constantly complaining, they really don't really know what they need. In fact, they're complaining because they want somebody out here to fix it. You know, like when you have a little kid and they're crying and you're like, hey, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they're just like, I don't know. And you're like, what's wrong? What, okay, are you hurt? Are you, I don't know. And, and they just, because they don't know what they need. And so you're trying to be like, all right, what, what do you need? What's wrong? What do you need? But even as adults, like we don't learn, Jesus, what am I needing right now? 
Jesus, what do I feel? Jesus, what do I need? Because the Israelites, what took them out of relationship with God was not God separating himself. It was their complaining and their grumbling and it hardened their heart. So they no longer experienced his joy. They didn't have joy because they kept thinking it was someone or something was supposed to make them happy, whether it was supposed to be food. Well, he did the food. They didn't like the food. You know, it was the water. They didn't like the water. I mean, it was like there was just nothing he could do that would ever make them happy. That's why the Lord says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And I want you to understand, it's not because when you ask and you receive, your joy is going to be complete because you're going to get what you want. It's because you will have finally learned how to be in relationship with him. Because you will have finally learned, God, this is what I need from you. This is what I'm asking of you. You will finally put yourself in that posture of living in relationship with him. And from that posture of living in relationship with him, your joy will be complete. We get to do joy. We get to rejoice as an exercise. We get to rejoice as a practice. We get to rejoice as an act of believing. It's a proclamation. We don't, we don't have to delay our joy and say things like, well, you know, when this is over with. Well, you know, when this gets done. You know what? When after we do that, then I'll, I'll finally be happy. We don't, we don't have to do that anymore because we can stop right now and say, Jesus, what am I feeling? What do I need? But God, what are you saying? What are you feeling about this? And Lord, I just thank you that, that you know me and we can just take that. You know, I, at the beginning of um, 2019 when our team gathered, I, I challenged everyone or I suggested to our team, take about five minutes to just practice resting with God every day. And that resting is really that coming into fullness of knowing that what he has done is, is, is done, like we were singing earlier. And we get to sit and rest and receive and, and allow his perfection to wash over us and allow him to know us. And I might encourage you all to do the same. Um, there were three things that God sort of showed me that I wanted to share with you that hamper or impede or interfere with our joy. And I'll be honest, these were kind of, and I thought these were, at first I thought they were very random. And then as I began to unpack them, I was like, wow, these, I would have never thought of this. The first thing that he highlighted to me was our concept of time. And... Um, what he began to show me was, before the fall, time was our friend. Time was a useful tool that taught us when to work and when to rest. After the fall, time became a constant reminder of our mortality. And it became our enemy. Because we felt like we were running out of time. We felt like we had to control time. We felt like we had to control the effects of time. And so we live with this sense of we never have enough time, constantly. And it makes us rushed, anxious, frantic. It moves us out of relationship with God, out of his joy, and into a race against time, which is futile. 
And the Lord said to me, these are, and this, I wrote this down, he said, Ashley, I have perfectly crafted today for you. Remember that each day, remember that every day, and avoid being rushed or pushed by time. I love calendars. Like Caroline Shiva and I talk about this. I, ha- I have to stop myself from buying a calendar. Like every year I think I'm going to come up with this new calendar system. I love being organized. I like planning. But I could also see where a lot of times I feel rushed or anxious. Like I'm showing up to one thing and then I'm running over here to get this done. And yes, you know. And a lot of times it's manifesting in times that it's not appropriate for me to feel rushed or anxious. I, I, and, and, it, and it became um, something I felt pushed along by. And then the Lord began to show me this, how it was literally robbing me of the joy of stepping into his presence. Because, you know, who has five minutes? You know, I got to get this done. I got to get. And so um, he said, Christ was broken so that not only could you be healed, Ashley, but that your days could be healed as well. I found that fascinating that God wants to heal our concept of time. We think very linear. He does not. God is present, past, and future. God is eternal, meaning he can be anywhere, anytime. Meaning that even though he's here with us today, he's also watching my great-great-grandchild take their first steps. You know, we're always living in the past or we're living in the future. We We hardly have time to live in the present. Come on. You know, but God... God's like, I paid for your past. Don't revisit that outside of me. I own it now. The future, I have plans. I will prosper you. But right now, love, worship, obey. Allow me to heal your concept of time so that we can move from communion versus being crushed by the clock and the calendar. And when I feel rushed or anxious because of time... I mean, I really didn't realize what a force this was in my life. I have learned to stop and, and just practice joy. And just say, Lord, I'm so glad to be with you. And Lord, I'm so glad that I am going to get there. I like to be on time. I like to be five minutes early. I mean, but I've been like, you know what, Lord? I am going to get there when you are ready for me to get there. Because you own my day. You have crafted this day. Christ died so that my days would be filled with your joy, not with this panic and stress of time. The second thing that he showed me, this is the one where I'm like, yeah, I don't know how this one's going to go over, but I'm going to do it. It's okay. Um, Is our concept of luck in this culture. Luck is not in the Bible. Luck is, has, the definition of it is, of luck, the word luck, is success or failure apparently brought on by chance rather than one's own actions. When we partner with luck or lucky objects or luck concepts, we discredit the sovereignty of God. It's pretty toxic to our faith. It creates confusion Yet it's prevalent in our culture. We throw it around, the little colloquialisms. We say it all the time. And it really is moves in direct opposition to Scripture, especially Romans 8.28, where it says, And he works all things together for the good of those who love him. 
It has nothing to do with luck. And um, it drives my kids crazy because they'll say, Mom, wish me luck on my test. I'm like, no, no, I will not. But I will pray for you and I will bless you. Mom, Mom, wish me luck on my game. No, no, I won't. But I will pray for you and I will bless you. I do not use that word because it has nothing to do. It discredits my God. And I don't want to do that. Knock on wood. Anyone use the term knock on wood? Do you know what that means? Knock on wood was developed by the Celts, the Celtic pagan religion, because they believed that the spirits lived in the trees and they would knock on wood to wake up the spirits and hope it would bring them good luck. It's not in the Bible. And it's in the spirit world, your words have weight. Your words have more weight. Remember when Zach was talking about the authority and we don't even understand the authority? And how are we to have authority when I'm like, I gotta knock on wood? I've just contradicted myself. I have discredited the sovereignty of God because that's just what everybody says. We aren't to do what everybody does. What about find a penny, pick it up, and all day long you'll have good luck? You know where that came from? The ancients believed that the gods, when you found a piece of precious metal, that the gods were looking down on you, and that was luck. No, that's not the way that we live as Christians. It's time that we wake up and really challenge these little beliefs that are so familiar and somewhat friendly, but they're not. They're actually moving in opposition to our faith and eroding our faith and depleting our joy. That's actually hampering us receiving joy from the Lord. The third thing is, this one I was like, yeah, double-mindedness. But what the Lord explained to me about double-mindedness, the root of it, it's not because sometimes we hear that and we think, I know, one day I have faith, one day I don't, or I thought this, I thought that. And he said, no. The root of double-mindedness is I don't know who I am in this situation. I've forgotten who I am in this situation. That's how we create double-mindedness. It's like in, in the garden when God showed up and he says to Adam, Adam, where are you? Even though he knew exactly physically where Adam was and exactly what Adam was thinking, It was more a question of, Adam, have you forgotten who you are? Adam, do you remember who you are? We are children of God. Double-mindedness comes because we forget who we are in this situation. With our children, with our work, with um, someone driving down the road, it just happens. And there is so much more mercy when we can, for ourselves, like, we're so hard on ourselves about double-mindedness, but we can, uh, when we realize this, wow, I just forgot who I was in this situation. Lord, remind me who I am. Retreat into that place of joy. Then we have m- more mercy on ourselves because then we get mad at ourselves and we get in this battle of why did I think that? Why did I believe that? And then at that point, we're just sort of fighting our own. We're struggling with our own strongholds and we've missed the whole, the whole thing. I want to wind down at uh, Matthew 13. And I, oh yeah, I'm reading it out of the Passion, sorry. 
got so much going on up here. Um, where he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, this is Matthew 13, verse 44. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovers that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have treasure. Valuing our relationship with God above all else is our treasure. That's where our joy is. Valuing our relationship with him. Before you make a decision or a commitment to anything, ask him, Lord, are you in this? Lord, is this you? Because oftentimes we just get weary because we can't say no. And I encourage you to to position yourself to constantly be in that place of valuing that. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our mentor, um, our counselor. That's, that's, That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to help us. This is not something that we're meant to do on our own. If you just say, Holy Spirit, help me, show me how I can value my relationship with the Lord more and more. And I guarantee your affections will change when you start to pursue that. In 1 Peter 1.8, he says this. He writes, You love him, talking about Jesus. You love him passionately, although you did not see him. But through believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and immersed in glory. For you are reaping the harvest of your faith. The full salvation promised you your soul's victory. That is what joy does. Your secret weapon of joy. That is accessible to you anytime, anywhere, even when you stand in accusation. You can practice pulling on the joy of the Lord. So I just want to give you some questions and then I'm going to pray for us and close this up. Um, Holy Spirit, will you bring your joy in this room right now? Holy Spirit, where we felt like we have been out of touch with that or we haven't been touchable. Holy Spirit, would you bring the joy of the Lord in this room? And would you blanket us Would you deposit that into us right now? Jesus, just submerge us in your joy. And let's just ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything I need to release to you so I can receive your joy? And if so, let's just say, Jesus, I release this to you. I thought it was helpful. But now I see it's hampering your joy. And I want to be immersed in your joy, Lord. Father, I thank you that you have given us new revelation on what it looks like to live in your joy. There isn't any one of us in this room that would leave here and not say, I I want more joy. We all want more joy. We want to see the seed of joy bear fruit in our life, no matter what season we are in. I thank you that we are coming into this understanding that that is our secret weapon. 
We don't have to have the right words all the time. We don't have to look right. We don't have to be doing right. That we can just immerse ourselves in your joy. And we are completed and perfected in that place. So Holy Spirit, would you go out with each one of us today and show us, teach us, nurture us in this pathway into the presence of God's joy. Would you keep unfolding that revelation? I thank you that this is just the beginning 